Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit agencyrevolution.com and click media to explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, this is your host, Michael Chance, and I want to welcome you to a special episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution creators of the most powerful marketing and communication software built specifically to meet the needs of insurance agencies and brokerages. If you believe that the relationship you have with your clients is the heart of your business, and I'm sure you do, then you need to see how Agency Revolution can make those relationships stronger and longer. If you haven't done it lately, next time you're in front of your computer, visit agencyrevolution.com and request a free demo of their award-winning software today. Once again, I want to welcome you to a special episode of this podcast. To put this into perspective, I'm recording this shortly after my interview with Dr. Bob Hartwig. On Saturday, March 14th, I reached out to Dr. Hartwig the previous Sunday when it occurred to me uh, that, uh, number one, I had clients who were scheduled to um, come to the casita for a mastermind meeting, and that the obvious and overwhelming conversation had to do with the unknowns and uncertainties of the coronavirus, the potential impact that it would have, and how agencies should be responding to that. Dr. Hartwig was generous enough to negotiate some time with me um, that worked on both of our schedules, so he was very generous to give me his Saturday morning. And we discussed in some detail the impact of the coronavirus as he sees it, as a seasoned economist, and perhaps I think is uh, what a number of people would call this industry's chief economist on the economy, on the insurance industry, and the independent insurance agency in general. Turbulent times do require or demand strategy more than ever, and strategy requires a rational perspective on what's really happening in the outside world what the forces and trends are so we can better determine which of those forces and trends may help us and carry us up and which ones could hurt us so we can navigate a successful path forward. If ever there was a time to take your own strategy seriously, that time is now. If ever there was a time for agency principals to practice and exercise leadership, that time is now both leadership and strategy require that clear-eyed perspective and a path and plan, and now an unwavering commitment to the market and customers desperately seeking meaningful communications, as well as the kind of leadership that communicates to the team that requires some truth-telling about the real world, a vision for how you'll succeed in that world, a strategy for achieving that vision, and a commitment, of course, to everyone's safety, and a clear-eyed understanding of where they fit in and how they contribute to that strategy and to that vision. So I'm going to say a few more words about Dr. Hartwig than I normally do. 
simply so that you can have a, a, a sense of the breadth and depth of his understanding of this industry, the economy, and this issue. Dr. Hartwig is currently the Clinical Associate Professor of Risk Management, Insurance, and Finance in the Darla Moore School of Business at the University of South Carolina and Director of the School's Center for Risk and Uncertainty Management. He teaches courses in risk management, insurance, and corporate finance, mentors students, pursues a variety of research interests, and works with insurance insurers, regulators, legislators, and many other industry stakeholders, including media. Dr. Hartwig is immediate past president of the Insurance Information Institute, an organization he led from 2007 to 2016. He joined the IIII in 1998 as an economist and became chief economist in 1999, focusing his work on improving understanding of key insurance issues across all industry stakeholders, including media, consumers, insurers, producers, regulators, legislators, and investors. He makes frequent presentations to industry associations, company management, industry executives, analysts, and clients, and speaks internationally on a wide range of insurance issues. He's testified before numerous state and federal regulatory and legislative bodies, including the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, the Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee, the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Capital Markets, and many, many more. Dr. Hartwig serves as media spokesperson for the property and casualty insurance industry and is quoted frequently in leading publications such as the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, USA Today, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, Financial Times, Business Week, Newsweek, U.S. News and World Report, CFO, Fortune Forbes, The Economist, and many others throughout the world. Dr. Hartwig also appears regularly on television, including programs on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, CNBC, Fox, PBS, and the BBC. So now, without further ado, I enjoy. I uh, invite you to uh, enjoy this conversation with Dr. Robert Hartwig. Dr. Robert Hartwig, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Uh, glad to be with you, Michael. It's uh, a lot going on here in the world today. Well, I'm sure that uh, you and I would be, uh, we would prefer to have a different conversation than the one we're having today. Uh, we've had several over the years, and they tend to be when times are um, relatively normal. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and I'm sure that there are things that you'd rather be doing on your Saturday afternoon, so it's very generous of you to give some time to uh, to my audience on this. Uh, so that said, uh, let's start first by, for those perhaps who per, uh, don't know you uh, or don't know your uh, career and reputation, if you could share a little bit about what you do and how you got to be where you are. Well, sure. Uh, nowadays, I'm a, a professor of risk management and insurance and finance at the uh, University of South Carolina and its Darla Moore School of Business. But uh, I've been here about four years now, and that comes after a 23-year career uh, in the insurance world. So. Uh, I started off for a number of years working in an actuarial capacity and research capacity at uh, NCCI, National Council on Compensation Insurance, doing a workers' comp rate making, and then mm -hmm. I moved from there to a Swiss Re uh, in New York City, and uh, from there I, I moved on to become the chief economist at the Insurance Information Institute and ultimately became its president uh, for my final decade there. I was there a total of 18 years uh, in, in New York City. So uh, it's been a rewarding career. And even before that, I worked uh, for government uh, as a while, uh, for a while as a statistician in a regulatory agency. So I've definitely been on the, the analytical side of things for, for most of my career, the quantitative side of things. But 
I've also done an enormous amount of media work, regulatory work, testifying on a wide variety of issues uh, all around the country, and, and work with uh, insurers and reinsurers on many, many issues, uh, too many to even count. And um, each time something like this, uh, the coronavirus happens, um, I, uh, it, while these are uh, unfortunate events, uh, in this case for the world, mm-hmm. um, they are learning events, and, and they once again illustrate how important the insurance industry broadly writ is. Uh, when we think about uh, something like the coronavirus, and this is not the first issue with infectious diseases I've dealt with. I can distinctly recall working, doing research on the SARS epidemic back in 2002, 2003, 2004, right. uh, and, and similar other uh, events in the past. Um, it illustrates how much this industry touch, touches every facet of our lives. And, of course, right now we might be thinking a lot about health insurers, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the president's uh, or, or key uh, important um, uh, parts of his plan that he was rolling out yesterday and, and that Congress, actually, I should say, approved, yesterday, uh, right. approved this week was basically free coronavirus testing. And uh, that's going to be important. So, so whether or not you do coronavirus test or whether you need to be treated afterwards, again, this is something that is going to uh, ultimately uh, involve your health insurer, for instance. And uh, so this is potentially a challenging event for, for health insurers. It's uh, for those uh, agents and brokers out there who work in the area of, of benefits, and, and I know that many of them do. Uh, they're now no doubt getting many questions about you know, how to handle what could potentially be an onslaught of claims in the event that there are infections, or are these compensable through uh, ordinary health insurance, or does it wind up being something through workers' compensation if they believe they were infected right. in a workplace setting? <laughs> right. Does disability apply in these cases, or you know, should I leave my office open, or should I close it? Uh, these kinds of things, uh, oftentimes, you know, we're all in this business together, and we tend to think of them through uh, an insurance sort of a lens. Um, so there is. Um... Uh, at currently, there is a um, oh strong emotional undertone to this uh, to this virus, and I think perhaps it has to do with the uncertainty, the unpredictability, all of the unknowns. As I mentioned to you um, earlier, um, I had uh, oh 10, 11 clients here in my casita uh, flew in from all over the United States and Canada, and we spent uh, a couple of days together. Uh, I only lost four or five uh, who had previously uh, uh, been scheduled to attend, but they chose not to because of the coronavirus. And I think uh, my clear observation is that there is uh, there is anxiety around this. Uh, there's anxiety regarding um, uh, the team, the employees. Uh, they're feeling certainly uh, some uncertainty. Uh, there's anxiety regarding individual and personal health. There's anxiety regarding flying here and flying home. Um, I have uh, I have a couple of clients who are uh, currently um, somewhat stuck on an international trip in Morocco um, right. and having some difficulty getting home. Uh, and and so uh, it, let's start with this. If you could talk a little bit about how th- this event. Um, as it is right now, and I think we're seeing perhaps the very beginning of it. So, 
Um, per, per, I'll, I'll be curious, uh, you know, what your information is about how you would predict it's going to roll out. But how does this compare to previous similar events? Yeah. Well, there are numerous ways to measure an event. So maybe as an economist who spent his most of his working career in the world of insurance, uh, let me give you some, some economic examples. So Very good. Uh, it, there's, there's no question that uh, this event is going to take its toll on economic activity. So uh, originally, as we entered 2020, uh, the view was that we'd be growing at about a 2 2.5% growth rate through the year. Um, and so right now we're looking at, uh, obviously, a reduction in growth rate in the first quarter to maybe somewhere around 1.8%, but that's because, you know, this thing started about halfway through the, the quarter. Mm -hmm. We're looking at um, negative economic growth now for the second quarter. So the most uh -huh. recent estimate now is I see the economy, the economy uh, contracting uh, by about a half a point. And... Uh, that's as opposed to maybe two to two and a half percent growth that we would have seen in, in absence of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Now, um, now uh, we would also expect to see a slow growth in the third quarter, but uh, again, climbing back hopefully to the one half to one percent range. And then the current expectation is that much of the economic activity, not all of it, but a good part of it. Uh, that uh, has unfortunately um, is not occurring today, uh, it will be pushed into the fourth quarter of this year and into 2021. So the expectation is that for growth to accelerate above uh, the, the pre-coronavirus the pre trend right. uh, beginning in the fourth quarter of this year and into the first half of 2021. <laughs> uh -huh. um, so uh, that's not a silver lining. Uh, there's going to be a, a loss. Uh, of economic activity, but what this suggests is that the, the economic downturn will be relatively shallow uh, and will be temporary in nature. So that's very good to know because it's very important to distinguish events like this from the last time we went into recession, say in 2007, 2008, right. 2009, and the financial crisis. At that point in time, the global financial sector itself, which is really at the core of all economic activity, was disintegrating before our very eyes. And it was, even for me as an economist, even for sophisticated business people, it was, un it was difficult to understand what exactly was going on. It was hard to understand what the enemy was, what the cure was. Um, and even to diagnose what the problem was. Um, in some ways, we're actually far ahead of our response uh, in the coronavirus situation than we were to the economic crisis of 2008. And why is that? Um, well, simply because right now we know what the enemy is. Got it. Okay? We know how to do battle with this enemy. Mm -hmm. We got a little behind. Uh, but we know how to do battle, and we know how to win this war. Uh, when it came to the financial crisis, we did not initially know exactly what was going on. Um, and again, it was a global economic pandemic um, at that time. Uh, there were no uh, uh, you know, off-the-shelf policy responses uh, that we could use to combat that global economic pandemic that swept across the world with incredible speed, just like 
the the biological uh, viral pandemic we're seeing right now, mm-hmm. the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Now, again, they're very different things, but when we're talking about economic impact on people's livelihoods, uh, yes, we do need to make sure that we engage in social distancing and do what the authorities tell us. Uh, but we should all look that, at, at that as part of not only maintaining our economic health, but it's part of sorry, our, our physical health, but it's also helping us maintain our economic health. Ah. So, so by, by engaging in social distancing, by not gathering in large groups for a period of time, and it's difficult, we are social creatures, um, <laughs> what we are going to do is we're actually going to be able to return to economic normal much more quickly than we otherwise would. And, uh, and that will help us also, of course, return to, uh, to our uh, a state of, of physical and health normalcy. Uh, much more quickly than than we would. So uh, within a year from now, we'll probably be lining up to uh, to get uh, coronavirus vaccines, or a lot of us will wind up potentially being immune naturally. Right. Um, and, uh, and and so certainly, I would expect by early next year, even late this year, things will largely be back to normal. Yes, there will be a scar on the economy, uh, ah. but it will it will not be the type of uh, scar that literally lasted years. It, it took, for instance, it took for us to recoup the jobs that were lost in the Great Recession. How long? Okay, the jobs that were lost in the Great Recession uh, in 2007, 8, and 9 were not recouped uh, for a half of for a half a decade later. Okay, and in some industries it was even longer than that, and in some states it took seven years to recoup the jobs that were lost. Okay, we are not talking about anything of that economic magnitude today. And the reason is, is because although we need to go through this difficult period in the next three to six months, mm-hmm. we can already see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, right. so, so it sounds like you're saying a significant difference is that uh, th- this really is medically caused, but underneath it, the, um, the financial infrastructure is much stronger than it was in... Oh seven oh eight. There's no question. The financial infrastructure was, uh, although all the economy looked wonderful in 2005 and 2006. <laughs> right. The reality of it is, is the banks had engaged in an extraordinary amount of, on a global basis, of unbelievable irresponsible activity, and uh, it was beyond even what I could have imagined. And they did drag down the global economy, uh, right. as they uh, occasionally do. They are in much stronger financial position today. The Federal Reserve is reacting. Uh, we're finally getting mm-hmm. Congress. Congress uh, seemingly, over the past few years, uh, couldn't agree on how to tie its shoe. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, they have agreed uh, right. between the president's plan, the House plan that was approved on Friday, which the Senate will be voting on this coming week. Right. I have no doubt that the Senate will approve this, uh, will approve this uh, and the president will sign it next week. So we've got bipartisan agreement uh, in, in a way that we have not seen in the current administration on uh, providing economic relief to small businesses, small business America, which is very, very important to uh, the, the businesses in the agents on every and They are Small Business America, and they work with Small Business America. Mm-hmm. It's very important to them. Um, but also, you know, uh, making sure that people understand that they will have access uh, to health care if they need it, that they'll have a- access to funds if they need to stay at home, 
Um, I'm seeing other changes uh, around the country. For instance, let me give you a small change that's in the property casualty insurance industry. Okay. It may be something that uh, would be a, a little bit costly to property casualty insurers. But the idea of quarantining, all right, is quarantining covered under workers' comp? Okay. Uh, you, okay. You can, you can read worker comp, workers' comp statutes all around the country, and you're probably not going to see the word quarantine mm-hmm. uh, very often. So Washington State, which granted is a monopolistic state fund, right. however, it's been one of the worst hit. Uh, and nursing home workers, for instance, have been uh, infected in a couple of cases before they knew what they were dealing with in the coronavirus there. And, uh, and so whether they're sick or not, uh, they've been ordered to self-quarantine for 14 days. Now, um, that, uh, they may or may not have the coronavirus, but they are, in effect, uh, they do need to be monitored uh, medically, and they do need to stay away from everyone else, which means they're away from work and incurring perhaps lost wages during that period of time. So in the state of Washington, they basically altered the workers' compensation statute so that it will provide workers' comp benefits in the event of quarantine. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Now, that's new, but this is something that I would, uh, quite frankly, expect to be adopted by other insurance departments. Um, and it, it, it is not something that is, uh, and insurers will ultimately embed this in rate going forward. Um, but um, is it something that I expect other states to sign on to? Um, yes. And uh, in, the, in the same way that uh, we may see uh, health insurers be, infa- uh, be uh, impacted in terms of um, the types of treatments they're, they're going to be required uh, to, to offer or perhaps without co-payments or deductibles, because as a society, we have to understand that uh, our health is a public good. And what do I mean by that? I mean in the same way that w- every last one of us who's listening to this call today benefits when a child is vaccinated against measles or mumps or right. some other disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all benefit when someone who potentially is ill with, due to exposure to the coronavirus, is not in the workplace of infecting other people or infecting customers. Um, and in effect, uh, so this is, this is part of the reason why uh, government has an appropriate role uh, in partnering with the private sector to make sure that there are solutions to, to, to slow the spread um, of this virus and eventually eradicate it from the human population. All right. So uh, overall, Bob, listening to you, it sounds like you're um, oh, relatively optimistic that uh, the economy and our industry will survive this um, uh, in reasonably good health. Well, yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, no doubt out there, there are probably a lot of fans of, for instance, the show, The, the Walking Dead. OK. OK. This is, this is not season one, <laughs> season one of, the, of The Walking Dead. OK. Where uh, where soon um, we will be living in this post-apocalyptic world, uh, uh, and um, which is, uh, you know, right. with a scourge of zombies walking everywhere. That's, that's not what we're looking at. We are looking at temporary disruption, which actually these sorts of things, and depending on where you lived in the country, um, these things have happened many times. I mean, somebody like me who, who for instance, uh, 
was in Manhattan when 9-11 mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, enormous disruptions in that parts of the, the, the country right. for, for, for many, many months. Uh, and, um, and at that point, there was a great deal of uncertainty. We went to war over 9-11. Right. We did not know if more of the, we were certain other attacks were planned. We thought we, would be, we were going to be infected by anthrax or mm-hmm. attacks or subway bombings right. during that period of time. People were afraid. They were scared. And, and, and in some sense, there was vastly more uncertainty in that period of time at least for some parts of the country, than there was mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go and talk to people who lived through Hurricane Katrina, whose homes and livelihoods were completely destroyed and for, for months. And in some cases, those livelihoods never returned. And so uh, at, at some point in all of our lives, we, we suffer through some sort of disruption like this. And we happen to be doing it on a national scale right now. Uh, But as I mentioned, um, I think that even though the light at the end of the tunnel is perhaps some three to six months away before the all clear is given, uh, we can at least see it. And that's what distinguishes this period in history from the financial crisis, where we could not see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right, and right. In 9-11, we went to war. We still have troops in Afghanistan and Iraq 19 years later. Okay, so the, the light at the end of the tunnel has not still been completely achieved. So uh, in thousands and thousands of, of you know, blood and tre- yeah. trillions in, in treasure and mm-hmm. thousands dollars of uh, thousands of lives lost in, in that. So we're, we're not looking at something of that magnitude today. This is an enemy we understand. It is an enemy that we know how to defeat. And uh, as Americans, we are impatient people. And, <laughs> uh, and we also tend to not be very good at perceiving risk. Uh, right. Very, very well documented. I mean, the average person believes flying on a plane is more dangerous than driving. They couldn't be more wrong. Right. Um, every year, about 33,000 people die in automobile accidents. So uh, the most dangerous thing you, you did the day that you flew in the airplane was to get in the car to get there. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, again, it's, a, it's about putting things in perspective. Mm-hmm. But I think we, we, are, we, 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 by nature, are anxious. We uh, have genetically evolved this way, and there are some good reasons yeah, right, for that. Right. Okay. Um, so, so, but, so yeah. uh, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you. So, um, the, the, uh, nonetheless, I mean, so we're talking. You're you're pretty optimistic about uh, that. We'll return to a relatively strong and robust economy with growth, but we will go through a quarter or two <coughs> of some pain. Exactly. <laughs> and that, and and the um, the rolling out of that pain um, will be uneven. Absolutely right. So so talk to us a little bit about uh, the, the sectors or the classes of business or the the lines of business that you think may be most affected. All right. Well, uh, you know, uh, if you're if you're into toilet paper manufacturing, <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, when it comes to um, such areas, of course, as uh, travel, entertainment, leisure-related occupations and industries. Uh, These are the ones uh, that are dependent on discretionary (laughs) income. And 
these are unfortunately the first uh, to suffer and will likely suffer in the most severe way. Mm-hmm. And so to the extent that anyone listening today, and I know many do, they will have clients that are in the restaurant business, uh, in the hotel business, uh, the travel and tourism business. Uh, this uh, are in business that caters to areas such as uh, you know, business travel and so forth. These are going to be uh, the most hit, the most severely hit. We've already seen the airlines, the hotels, right. and so forth uh, beginning to pull back. The conference industry, right. Yes, trying to avoid layoffs. These are the sectors that you would expect to uh, see uh, impacted the most. On, on, on the other side, um, if you happen to work in the healthcare sector, mm-hmm. uh, if you happen to, which is actually uh, <laughs> nearly 20% of the U.S. economy, by the way, so yeah. uh, to some extent this will be going full steam. Um, if you happen to work in an area that is a consumer staple, uh, so we're talking about in the area of whether we're talking about you know agriculture, food, those sorts of things. Um, you know, day-to-day products, the, the, the millions of people who work at the Walmarts and the Targets and those kinds of places, uh, those sorts of retail. Uh, if, if, you, if you work in the, in, in the supply chain area, if you work for Amazon, um, also one of the biggest employers in the United States nowadays, these sorts of uh, things um, that are, you know, part of the consumer staple supply chain, I think they'll do very well also. Uh-huh. Uh, now, um, if you're fortunate enough, for instance, to be uh, in a public sector job, um, public sector occupation, um, so you, you, you work, uh, you're a teacher, you're a government servant, what it is, your, your jobs are, are pretty, uh, uh, going to likely to be pretty steady as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other areas that are a little unclear. Um, for instance, if we look at areas <laughs> such as construction, um, right. There's, there's a couple of things going on here. Usually construction contracts are entered into far in advance, and so we do expect those contracts to, uh, to continue to be executed. So construction activity, I think, will continue largely unabated for a period of time. Um, uh, and they will also benefit from lower interest rates uh, that we've been seeing uh, recently. Right. So one silver lining of all of this, if you will, has been uh, lower interest costs. So... Um, so that's going to help people who are homeowners who can, in fact, we've seen huge numbers of people refinancing. That's going to put more money in their pockets. It makes homes more affordable. But at the same time, uh, this, uh, you know, home, in terms of um, uh, existing homes, this is likely to have an impact on the ability to have open houses and, you know, reluctance people to go visit homes and, and determine which ones they might want to buy. And mm-hmm. So we'll probably see the, uh, the traditional spring home buying season you know, somewhat impacted. That can have an impact uh, potentially on uh, small contractors who do renovations and, and those kinds of things. Um, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag there. And then uh, some other areas that are a mixed bag, um, obviously, as I mentioned, uh, travel and tourism, uh, those are very negatively impacted. When we think about such things as uh, the, the trucking industry and right. delivery, uh, it's, it's, it really depends on who you are. I, I mean, if you, are, um, if, you, if you happen to have a contract working for you know, Amazon or, uh, or, or companies like Walmart or Target mm-hmm. that provide consumer, consumer staples, uh, they're increasing uh, <laughs> uh, the, the number of trips they're making to the stores right. to try to meet demand, mm-hmm. and that will continue for some period of time. Um, and so uh, it's, it's, it's good news for them. 
Um, on the other hand, if you're, if you're uh, for instance, a fleet vehicle operator cater, uh, making deliveries to restaurants or you're, you run uh-huh. Uber or Lyft or these kinds of things, it's going to be a, a, net, a net negative. I, I would say such things as car sales will likely suffer uh, as, as well because you can see how people with the uncertainty may defer large purchases. Um, also uh, there. So fewer people going into stores also and buying washing machines and dryers. So uh-huh. Some of these larger consumer durable purchases will suffer. Uh, consumer staples and so-called non-durables uh, will actually likely see increased sales. Um, and this is not, uh, this, is, this, is, this is something that is typical in an economic downturn, except that we don't typically see quite a strong, we don't see a surge in consumer staples. We just see those sectors remain stronger uh, than, let's say, uh, you know, traditional manufacturing and, and, and those sorts of things right. that are dependent more on <clears throat> discretionary income. So, so, so you are predicting um, a quarter of negative growth, but not two quarters, which is... Well, right. So right. We're looking at a slow, right, so some of the pain is, is already being, uh, uh, we're seeing the impact in this yeah, quarter. Right. The first half of the first quarter, if you will, uh, was largely normal. We saw the April, uh, for instance, the January and February jobs reports were very, very strong right. uh, in the United States. Now, we're going to expect to see those weaken, um, and we should expect to see the unemployment rate go from what has been a 50-year low of about 3.5%, uh, up to perhaps as high as 3.9%, which is still low by historical uh-huh. standards. Um, so maybe on the border of 4% by the time we get to the third quarter of this year. Uh, so we will have that impact. And mm-hmm. Again, so a, a few years ago, we would have uh, given our right arm for a 3.9% unemployment rate. But uh, you know, but anytime you see it increase, that's that's obviously not going to be a good thing. And there will be people who are employed but just don't have the number of hours that they used to work in the past. Right. So their income will be diminished. Now, so that's why there are going to be a variety of federal programs to help keep that discretionary, to, to help mm-hmm. people continue to spend uh, at least on the things they need for their, their, day-to-day, their day-to-day lives. But uh, things will come back slowly, as they did, for instance, after 9-11. It was a, long, it was a slow comeback. Um, for instance, uh, around the country, but certainly in the greater New York area where I was, where people very slowly um, and uh, months later, but slowly began mm-hmm. to come out of their shells and begin to spend and begin to resume their ordinary activities. Bob, do you anticipate that uh, this will have any impact on insurance pricing, the hardening or softening of the market? Question, um, you know, right now in the commercial line side, we had certainly seen a hardening in uh-huh. many lines, with perhaps the exception of workers' comp. Um, ironically, workers' comp is one line that could see some firming um, uh, because of the uh-huh. fact that yeah. it is one line that is potentially more exposed if we wind up with infected healthcare workers. Or again, mm. there's a broadening of the workers' comp statutes <laughs> that, uh, for instance, would require coverage for a quarantining of workers who may have been exposed uh, in and out of the course of their employment. Um, but uh, I, I think that on the margin, yeah, it, what it probably does is take a bit of the edge off the hard market. And the way that that happens is as follows. Um, historically, when there are economic 
slowdowns, uh, insurers tend to act in a way uh, that um, uh, that makes them more aggressive in terms of uh, trying to uh, retain the business that mm-hmm. they have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so that means will they be somewhat less aggressive in terms of where they are on pricing? In some cases, uh, that may be the case where they have the latitude to do that. Right. Um, it uh, you know some of the hardest lines out there that we're seeing today are areas like commercial auto, commercial property, and commercial umbrella. Uh, um, let me take commercial auto. Uh, What we would expect to see in a slowdown in the economy Mm -hmm. is a reduction in claim frequency. Right. So um, does that potentially take uh, Uh. some of the uh, wind out of the sails, if you will, um, the rate increases? Maybe some. Uh, Some of the rate increases in commercial auto are being driven by deterioration in the overall tort environment, for instance, uh, kind of new avenues of litigation against deep, deep-pocketed uh, or what are perceived mm-hmm. deep-pocketed um, defendants. Um, uh, but it, it, to the extent that there is some underlying um, shift in the what we would call the loss-cost trends, in other words, the frequency and severity, and, and, and typically here we'll be talking about frequency trends, uh, that that could blunt the increases. It doesn't mean that they'll uh, will will be moving to negative renewals in commercial auto, but uh, could the magnitude uh, be frozen or, or potentially shrink a bit? That's possible. Uh, areas like commercial property, that is really <clears throat> more driven by events. Right. And so I wouldn't expect to see that uh, so much impacted. Insurers there are pricing through their actual uh, loss activity and the cost of reinsurance that they've seen through, uh, you know, record wildfire losses in some parts of the country, very expensive commercial flood losses, commercial (coughs) property losses in other parts of the country. Uh, I expect uh, not much impact uh, there. And, you know, of course, uh, nothing about the coronavirus says that, uh, you know, hurricanes, earthquakes, and tornadoes are any less likely to happen in the year ahead. Right. Um, yeah. It's the last thing we're going to need in this country in terms, uh, you uh-huh. know, uh, like a, a big hurricane season or an active hurricane season. But we can't rule those sorts of things out. Um, areas like commercial umbrella, which is seeing the largest increases today, those are being fueled by problems in our tort system, uh, out of control litigation, jury rewards, those sorts of things. Right. Um, in, in a protracted economic downturn, even that activity begins to ebb somewhat. Um, right now, uh, I, I don't see economic activity um, uh, declining to the extent uh, that it will have a large impact here. So, um, so I, I, I see some impacts again. So I see uh, commercial auto, potentially uh, areas like uh-huh. workers' comp. Um, uh, can you either impacts on other lines such as you know, um, you know, general liability? Well, uh, this is the reason why these uh, shutdowns, for instance, are important to the insurance world. Suppose that someone decided to have a major event, and uh, they had 1,000 people in a room, uh-huh. and it turns out right. that one or two people were infected and, and when they arrived, and by the time everyone left, there's 100 people who were infected. Um, in theory, there is a, a course of litigation uh, that could be pursued. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in those instances, and um, and the idea is that uh, in, in part by 
ending these events or postponing these events, uh, what we are going to have there is not only a solution, a risk management solution that helps us as a society uh, make sure that this virus is not spread beyond um, what it already has spread. We're going to slow it. <laughs> right. Spread. But it is also part of, uh, of, of risk management to make sure that you, a corporation, an entity, does not find yourself liable um, in the sense that there could be allegations of negligence that you should have never held the event. Right. Okay. And Got so, it. So, so, so those costs would largely be in the form of defense costs in most cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, but an argument would be made that you did not take steps that were considered reasonably prudent um, uh, to prevent the spread or the infection. Do, do you see other areas where potentially there are there are, uh, secondary effects on the in- industry where, you know, uh, for example, like you indicated that uh, quarantine may, uh, you know, uh, going forward may be um, included in workers' comp. Do you see other areas where, uh, oh, either because of um, uh, cases working their way through the court system or the engagement of, uh, of insurance departments or state legislatures that we, that we may see changes in the way, um, uh, um, you know, insurance is, is covered? Uh, Are, it's possible, yeah, there's always... Well, well like, like could, could the virus be considered a pollutant, for example? Well, uh, yeah, that, <laughs> right. So the, the concern after these sorts of events and even natural disasters is that there will be efforts to kind of expand beyond uh, the sort of four corners of the contract, if you will. Right. Uh, so insurers uh, work very hard to, to, and this is part of the reason why the language in, in con- insurance policies, which are con- legal contracts, right. is viewed by many as being so complex. But that's to make sure <laughs> that insurers are only providing coverage for exactly those perils in those amounts under those circumstances and condi- terms and conditions for which the policy was written. Um, so, for instance, in, in, an example where insurers had to go through two years of litigation was after Katrina, where uh, enterprising trial lawyers were trying to make the case that, well, because wind blew the water on shore in the uh-huh. Gulf of Mexico, water was really a form of wind damage. Uh, <laughs> okay. And so insurers had to, quite frankly, for two years in state and federal courts, and I was involved directly in some of these cases, uh, litigate uh, over this and say this is not the intent of the contract. The contract was never priced this way to cover these risks. Now, are there uh, insurers ultimately prevailed, but only after two years of, of costly and uh, being <clears throat> litigation and being right. dragged through the mud? Um, in this particular instance here, um, in terms of you know where could there be a large scale expansion of benefits that could be detrimental to the insurance industry? Well, you know, you mentioned one that I mentioned already, the, the issue of, of quarantine. Mm-hmm. Now, if it were to be the case that we wound up with, you know, not two or three uh, workers in Washington state, but thousands right. of health care workers around the country being quarantined, uh, and then those costs uh, being interpreted as workers' comp-related, uh, that could be costly, but is it something that in any way uh, threatens the solvency or the ability of workers' comp insurers to pay? No, absolutely not. All right. Um, and, one, I, and I'll make a blanket statement uh-huh. that whether we're talking about property casualty, health, or life insurers going into this, we're talking about industries that are rock 
solid financially, okay? Absolutely rock solid. So whether you're talking about, uh, you know, a PNC client, uh, whether you're wondering about your life insurer, should there be an increase in the number of people dying in the United States, or whether you're worried about uh, your health insurer, uh, the industry in aggregate is very, very well capitalized and very well prepared to deal uh, with this, this crisis and, and anything else that is going to happen uh, you know, with respect to hurricanes or what have you during the rest of the year. Um, but uh, so, so you know, would we expect, for instance, to see uh, litigation against the industry in terms of recouping costs for all these events that have been canceled? Okay, we, we uh -huh. Rule that out. So, for instance, where we've also seen, there's my guess. I'm not guessing. I know that insurers have see, have received many claims already for business interruption. All right. Uh huh. Um, and now, what insurers are having to tell their customers is that their business interruption coverage is only triggered when there is a, a some physical loss or damage from a covered peril. So you're Sure, your, your business interruption coverage is triggered if the wind blows off your business in a hurricane or a tornado. Mm -hmm. Okay, but, in, but if your business is closed uh, or business is slow because of the coronavirus, um, then that, is, that does not trigger any coverage under a business interruption policy. Okay. Uh -huh. and, uh, and so this is something that I've already noted, and I'm, I'm acquainted with many insurers that have told me they've already received, quote-unquote, claims from customers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And no doubt the agents and brokers are going to receive the same call, um, and they're going to have to advise their customers that, uh, that only in instances where there's physical loss or damage is there going to be coverage. Um, and, and I suppose we'll have to wait to see if enterprising uh, attorneys uh, attempt to push this past the four oh, corners. They, 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 they will. Okay. Uh, they, they will. All right. Uh, they, there's, there's no question in my mind that they will <laughs> make an effort in the insurance industry in the same way that it had to defend the flood exclusion uh, back in 2005 in the wake of Katrina. Um, in some instances, uh, may have to defend the, the business interruption exclusion. But the business interruption exclusion, it's, if, if you read it, it is, it is quite clear mm -hmm. um, that uh, only these named perils uh, are going to trigger the policy. And in most cases, uh, most of these commercial property policies, they, they contain communicable disease exclusions. Okay, that, is, that is generally the case. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, it, this is again. This is not the first time insurers have been down this road. Right. So that's why these uh, these exclusions are are there. Some of those exclusions wound up uh, in policies in the wake of the the um, HIV crisis of the 1980s, for instance. Right. And, right. Um, so the point is to make sure that a commercial property policy and the ensuing business interruption coverage. <coughs> Um, are, are, can only be activated uh, when there is actual physical loss or damage from a covered peril. And uh, the there's a communicable disease exclusion, but beyond that, there's no physical loss or damage to mm -hmm. the property. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, so, Bob, um, th this has been a, uh, a surprisingly refreshing conversation. 
given the kind of ongoing level of anxiety that seems to be present in society right now in general. So, and 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 I suppose from time to time that's the role of the economist to have a um, a, a distant view, right, an objective distant view. It's a long view. You know, it's often <laughs> economics is sometimes called the dismal science. Indeed, it is. Yeah. <laughs> the, the reality of it is, is that um, I, you know, I and, and I know some of my colleagues are are students of history, and you can see that uh, this event has actually, in one way, shape, or form, um, it, it is an echo of previous historical events. And, and, and what we know uh, from these events um, makes me heartened right. uh, and, uh, and makes me know with certainty uh, that there is light at the end of this time. So let me see if I can sum up your perspective and you can tell me whether I've got this right. Um, uh, so uh, to a large extent, you're, it, it's, again, it seems reasonably optimistic because the uh, global economy, the infrastructure of the global, global economy is relatively strong. The infrastructure of our industry is strong. And that we will that we will get through this as we have so many other events. Yes. Uh, yes. The, the global financial structure uh-huh. is much stronger than it was. The financial architecture much stronger than we saw in okay. two thousand eight. Uh, uh, we have a much better understanding of what the problem is and how to attack it, how to treat it, and how to get to the how to defend right. it. Right, right. So, um, so in, in, in your historical view, uh, uh, clearly uh, we we learned some things from nine eleven. We learned some things from the Great Recession. Do you think that there are things that, uh, as an industry, we will learn or need to learn uh, oh, from course. this yeah, event? We will. We will. As an industry, uh, all events like this are are learning experiences and. Uh, I, I think, for instance, uh, we are going to learn um, uh, about, uh, you know, how to manage risk in the healthcare sector, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and health and how health insurers operate in these, these sorts of uh, in environments. And um, so it, it's hard to think because we haven't, we're not at the other side of the, the, the tunnel yet, but right. we'll look back at this, and as an industry, we will dissect it, and we'll see what the, uh, what the impact is and, and make the appropriate, appropriate adjustments. The so, greatest risks uh-huh. that we actually had were policy mistakes and policy errors, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting increasingly uh-huh. optimistic that uh, both in Congress and in the, in the administration, uh, they're getting their act together. Do, do you think this will have an impact on health premiums? Um, it's currently, uh, I would say that the, the impact would be relatively minimal. Okay. The reason is, is because most of the people who become gravely ill from this are elderly and are actually already Medicare patients. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, so it will be the Medicare system, <laughs> at least from what we know so far, which is essentially taxpayer funded. Right. Uh, that will be, uh, the most significantly impacted, at least from what we can see who is the most vulnerable population. So, if Bob, if you were going to deliver a message to the distribution sector, to the, you know, fundamentally to the listeners of this podcast series, um, uh, the, the leadership of the agency channel, what do you want to encourage them to do? What do you want to urge? What, what do you think their imperative is? Well, they, they have to make sure that they can continue their operations. Okay, so uh, and that means making accommodations to work remotely mm-hmm. uh, as uh, as appropriate, and that's what most businesses are are doing uh, today. 
Uh, is it okay? Uh, CDC guidelines say it's it's generally fine to meet with you know a client in person. Uh, you know, meeting one on one as they they might do on a, on a regular basis. Right. If you want to minimize it, you could do it via Skype. You could do it via phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so these sorts of day to day practices of keeping your agency, keeping your brokerage going. Um, I, I, again, there, there should, really this is going to be a temporary disruption. Um, certainly, there's going to be concern on the amount of uh, you know employees who have day to day things to worry about. Kids home from school, for instance, right? And, and they work from home, so they need to make the investment very quickly that will allow that. Uh, uh, but they also need to make sure that they understand, uh, and they should be getting information from the carriers uh, with whom they have appointments, mm-hmm. okay, about key coverage questions that are coming their way. Okay, so I gave the example of, is a quarantine covered under workers' comp? Okay, I, the other example I gave, uh, which the one I know that they're getting, uh, is whether or not business interruption is covered in the event that my right. business is slow. Uh, or my uh, nobody's at the convention center, so someone's at, no one's at my restaurant anymore. Uh-huh. Um, or what? You know, the government, the president declared a national state of emergency. Does that have an effect? Um, the the answer is is again, uh, there's there's no trigger for business interruption coverage. So <laughs> they need to be able to give straight answers immediately to their clients uh, because they uh, will not have the level of understanding of their coverage uh, that everyone living, listening to this podcast will. Do, do you think that there will be um, a, um, oh, that this will trigger uh, E&O claims that were previously, that just not anticipated? Uh, and you're talking about broker E&O? Yeah, claims? yeah, broker E&O. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, I, 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 I never doubt the, uh, the resourcefulness <laughs> of, of trial lawyers okay. um, to, to, to try to find coverage where, where none exists. And part of that means filing E&O claims, and in other aspects, uh, potentially DNO claims against other companies. Right. Um, but I, I, it's, it's a little difficult here to see how uh, there would be much avenue for for ENO. Uh, and, and the reason is is uh, even if an individual, for instance, had no business interruption coverage, they couldn't claim on an ENO policy saying you told me not to. You told me not to. You didn't sell me. You didn't sell it to me, right? (laughs) Okay, okay. So that that sort of a thing. Um, All right. Kind of a a false negative. All righty. Well, uh, Bob, uh, as always, I uh, so appreciate your time. It's been a robust conversation. Um, I think you've added uh, perhaps a uh, an element of sanity. Uh, to this conversation um, in a time of anxiety. So I do thank you for that very much. My pleasure, and I hope to speak to you again. Indeed. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox. New episodes every Wednesday.